Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Hi, everybody. This is Susan, and Diane is here, and this is our third episode of When Autumn Comes. We are excited still to be doing this with you guys. And today, Diane is going to share her story. Um, not the whole story, because as we found out last week with me, like we got a fraction of my story <laughs> in, but um, we're going to get to know Diane and her beautiful family a little bit today. So... So, girlfriend, where do you want to start? Oh, where do we start? Well, I am married to my husband, Josh, and we have three kids. Our oldest is Caleb. He is 10 years old. Um, our middle is Nora. She is our feisty little redhead, and she's seven. And then comes Selah, who just, you know, who is shook adorable the family up. a lot like Lorelai. Seriously, it, we, we have to show them a picture sometime. They look... That's how we kind of met because I saw a blog post of Lorelai and I was like, that looks like my child. Who's so, that creature and how to show a picture of my kid? We <laughs> Photoshop a picture of them together. Yeah. And like they would, I mean, it looks, they look like sisters. So it, it, my kids are always like, mom, is that Sailor or is that Lorelai? Always wondering. <laughs> so, so, creepy. Anyway, so creepy. They both have blonde curls and anyway, adorable. So we both come from semi-small families and we had the two kids and I like newborn babies can drop me to my knees. I am in love with them. I love being pregnant. So after the two, I, I was like, Josh, I don't think I can be, I'm, I think, I think we got to do one more. You know, we had the boy girl, like the perfect American family and he was not, I mean, he was on board but we both just kind of decided like, well, we'll just let God do his thing. And if we're supposed to be a family of five, we will. And if we're not, we won't. And then we, you know, definitely decided that we would respect each other if, you know, one of us wanted to be done. And it did take us like over a year to get pregnant with Caleb and like six months with Nora. So we thought we had a couple months to really, you know, decide what we wanted to do. So Josh left for a work trip. I will never forget. It was Caleb's birthday and I was walking through Target getting his birthday things for his party. And I came up to the checkout and I just, you know, took a big gold deep breath in and got that like pregnancy, like, like gaggy. Oh, it's the worst feeling ever. Oh, it was awful. And I literally stopped in my tracks and I was like, oh my goodness. And I did a 180 and I went back to the pregnancy, pregnancy test section 
And I like instantly knew. And I was like, I'm pregnant. And you guys, from like talking about it to my husband leaving for work trip, I don't know, it's maybe like 48 hours. <laughs> Not literally, but we wouldn't have never been those. I'm going to look at my husband and get pregnant people. And here we were. So I was petrified. Like my husband is not an angry man at all. But for some reason, I was like, he's going to be so mad. I cannot believe this. Like, what were we thinking? And so I waited to tell him till he got home. And he, of course, was super happy. Like I would have been like every time we got pregnant, we were so excited. But I like cussed every time I was like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. I just you know, like it was so nerve wracking. And so I didn't want to tell him over the phone. It was Caleb's birthday. I don't know. I just, I just waited till he got home. And I kept saying like, Hey, I've been doing a lot around the house for his party. I have a big surprise for you. (laughs) So that's essentially how I told him. Happy birthday. Happy Happy birthday. Happy surprise. So anyway, we have never thankfully, um, you know, we're just super fortunate. We never experienced any sort of miscarriage or pregnancy loss at all. It was, of course, I think it's every woman's fear when they find out they're pregnant. But this time I was like, this, something's different. Like something's not right with this pregnancy. And I knew it, you guys, from the minute I conceived, like I was just like, something is not right. And in the first three months, it was, I thought we were going to lose the baby. So I just was like getting myself ready, like no, no parent, no mother can go through three healthy pregnancies and not have at least one miscarriage. Like I just didn't think it was possible. So that's what I thought was going to happen. Well, fast forward it's amazing, three months. Amazing what we tell ourselves, like, you know. Oh gosh, yeah. Just like, to, because we all feel that way when we're, I feel like no mom ever gets pregnant is like, this is going to be perfect. Like, but it's amazing just the self-talk that we give ourselves of no person has three healthy pregnancies and what you tell yourself, but you know, I would never say that to you, but how we talk to ourselves in the midst of all of this is just. Mm -hmm. And like the thing that stood out the most was like, I birthed two healthy children. Like we had zero problems in any of the pregnancies, any of the deliveries. I mean, it, like the thing that I went through prior to having Sayla was Caleb had to have tubes in his ears. <laughs> like that's all we've been through medically. And I mean, during his delivery, I was induced and he, you know, like they had to suction out his lungs because he had meconium in them, but that's the extent. And so it was a definitely a different feeling. Uh, like mm-hmm. I knew it was the deepest feeling in my guts that I could, I can't, I can't even describe it. So anyway, it's amazing. I'm um, just the mother's instinct. Yeah, totally. So we got through the first 12 weeks and then we were smooth sailing for a while, but like in that next four weeks after, so between 12 and like, probably actually like 12 and 20, I was like, that gut feeling turned into this like positive, like this baby's going to be huge. Like, I just know it. I mean, I didn't lose this baby. So this baby's going to be something really different and really big. Like I conjured up all these like self-serving things like, like, oh my gosh, maybe it will be like a pastor or maybe it will be like a Christian singer. Like, I mean, 
it was so ridiculous and crazy, but the the nagging feeling was there of like the, something's different with this. This baby. child is going to make a difference. Yes, and it was, of course, in this worldly, you know, this this child is going to be quote unquote big in this worldly way, as opposed to like dropping us to our knees. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it was really interesting. So then we go in for her. 20 week, we find out she's a girl and everything looks great. But the, the, um, sonographer says, you know, I radiology, like I can see everything's fine, but radiology, I didn't get a good look at her spine. I can tell it's fine, but I know that they'll want another picture. So let's just schedule you out for like another four or six weeks. Okay. So, uh, fast forward to four weeks and we go in and now she has an enlarged kidney. So they're like, she has hydronephrosis and everything was like fine. They were like, she probably has to urinate. This is very common. 99% of babies, mm-hmm. you know. We had the same this, thing told us. Yep. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. But, you know, again, like when your only medical thing you know is like tubes in the ears, like I can tell you, I was just as stressed out every single week we went in to the perinatologist to look at her kidneys as I was like as I am today, when we mm-hmm. have to go to the neurologist and everything. It was just super stressful. And so at one point, um, you know, and I'm going to say this very, like being very ignorant. So please forgive anything that I say that might be, you know, insensitive, but I'm going to be just straight up honest. At one point, um, the ultrasound tech had said, you know, this can be a marker for Down syndrome. And she said, sometimes they can have 10 markers and come out, you know, completely healthy. And sometimes they can have none and come out with Down syndrome. And I walked away from that appointment, like kind of stunned, but still like, oh my gosh, that's it. Like I get to be the mom of a child with Down syndrome. Like that's what God had in store for us this whole time. We're so lucky and so fortunate. And again, conjuring up in my head and being very ignorant at what comes, you know, the challenges that come along with parenting any child with special needs. But, you know, there's this view of, you know, kids with Down syndrome that they're happy and, you know, they just are like a gift to any family. And so I settled with that, like, that might be it. And I'd be so thrilled like that. That doesn't sound that hard, you know. And so um, we... She was breached. I mean, there was just a few other, like, I don't, can't even call them complications, but just hiccups that kept us at the clinic um, through her delivery. She came at 41 weeks. It was a lot harder delivery than my other kids. And she came into this world and she came out like everything I thought all of my kids, my other kids would look like that did not. She was like a porcelain doll with dark hair. She just was beautiful. So the first, I don't know, the first month, she was just a really sleepy baby. She was a really, really good baby, just slept all the time. Um, she was just, getting all of her sleep in then so that oh, you would Lord. be ready for the 4 a.m. mom pub now. We're at we're at 3.30 now. Let me tell you, it's been so fun this whole week. Um, but <laughs> so she, yeah, she was very sleepy, but I just, again, that, intense nagging feeling came back of like something is not right and everyone was like no this is she's great and I was like no no something is not right I just knew it and they did follow-ups for the kidneys and everything and it all was okay once she was born 
No, they did. At a month, we did a few tests. Like she, to this day, still has hydronephrosis, but it just has maintained. And that's all they wanted to see. They're like, you know, it's not getting worse. It usually resolves. So they have done, you know, they did tests at a month old and they kind of push that to the side. And so the biggest things between birth and like four weeks was um, she slept all the time, but she did not sleep in her car seat. She would not sleep. I mean, we went to, we went up north when she was, I want to say like 10 days old and it was about three and a half hour drive and she slept like 20 minutes. And so it was just, I was like, that's weird. She still doesn't sleep in the car though. No, not at all. It's, it's so bad. Um, but as you know, an infant, but she was just an easy baby. She just wanted to be by me. But then when she started to get like six weeks old, we brought her in for her vaccination and she, she was a train wreck. My kids handled their vaccines totally fine. Remember I had dinner plans I had to cancel. She was just inconsolable. She ran a little fever like all the normal things, but I just never experienced it. And I'm like, hmm. You know, so you kind of go back to the, every every kid's different. That's what right. everybody tells you, you right. know. But deep down, I was like, no, this something's not right. So she'd just have little things here and there that just kind of caught my eye. Well, then I saw um, she had nystagmus. She developed nystagmus, mm-hmm. like a little beating of her eyes. And that's when, like, you, your heart starts to pound. You see it. You start to, like try not to Google. You're like, what is, what, this is a not normal. Yeah. And at that same time, I remember, you know, I'd say, you know, you'd talk to them and like, hi, Sayla. And they try and find you. And I remember thinking like, can she see? I don't think she can see. I think she like might be like, is she blind? Cause she'd look around the room, like up at the ceiling and kind of like to her sides. And she really would not connect with you. Like she couldn't make eye contact very well. And I'm like, she just seems like almost as if you were standing in a dark room and you just heard like an echo Mm -hmm. and you were like, she just seemed confused all the time. And that was not super hard yet because you're not getting that like at six weeks, it's hard to get that back and forth input. Like right now they just need that comfort and she was getting that from me because that's really Mm -hmm. like all she could take in. Um, So then at like between probably eight and 12 weeks, I really started to get nervous because Mm -hmm. she wasn't batting at toys. She wasn't really making eye contact. She wasn't really laughing. Like she just seemed confused. And it's so different because from my perspective, I mean, we did a long NICU stay and a month in, we got the mitochondrial disease diagnosis. So when I was home with a tiny baby, I'm thinking, okay, so she's not doing these things, but maybe she will. Or we know that this isn't our, this isn't a typical path, but let's see what Lorelai will do. And here you are without a diagnosis with doctors telling you, no, no, she's okay. She's just being a baby still. And I mean, my mom heart aches for you watching all of this with having that gut feeling that something was wrong and just not having the validation, but kind of like watching the snowball build in front of you. You know, I look back and I remember having that like feeling of power in my gut being like, no, 
the, it was so powerful. And it, I, I tend to second guess myself a lot, but I wasn't, but everyone around me was like, she's fine. Oh my gosh. She's beautiful. She's fine. You know, even like friends in healthcare, like, oh, it's normal. No big deal. And I'm like, no, something is not right. And we adore her pediatrician and her pediatrician's phenomenal. At four months, we went in and I was like, something is, something is not right with her eyes. Please, somebody help me. And she was like, I hear you. She's only four months old. Let's just give it a little more time. Let's give it to six months. Just let her settle in. Sometimes it takes. And I'm like, okay. And I was okay with that because I wasn't seeing like, you know, you're not looking for them to sit up yet at four months. You're not looking for them to do a whole lot. You know, even down nursing, she just, and I didn't know what hypotonia was at that time, but she, like milk would just be everywhere. I had no idea that something was not right in in terms of like, I couldn't make all the connections fit together. Mm-hmm. I could just see like physically some, you know, a few things were off. So six months, I will never forget it. It was right around probably like the 12th, like mid-December. Um, we went in and I was like, okay, we are not sitting. We are like, we are not playing with toys. We are not playing peekaboo. Like, and she was your third child. So like you had previous, like not, yes, I I didn't know what was supposed to happen Mm -hmm. because Lorelai was my first, but you had two other kids and comparison is hard no matter what. But when you're having this gut feeling of something's not right. My other kids did this. These are basic things that they should be doing. Somebody listen. Yes. And I had a, Caleb was a nine month walker. So, I mean, he was a cruiser and I, I I felt again, like I was self-aware enough to know that I had enough self-awareness that I could give them enough room to be themselves, but also know like something is just off, you know? So it wasn't that I was looking for the comparison of, well, Caleb's, Caleb started crawling at six months and Sayla's not doing that. Or Nora started doing this at that. And you know, she's not doing that. And there were enough like red flags and I will never forget. We, I, I walked down the hall and Josh, so we in our old house had a hallway and like, then you took a left into the kitchen and Josh popped out of the kitchen into the hallway with Sayla. And I went, peekaboo and her face stayed the exact same there was zero expression changed there was zero smile and it's like a monumental moment in her childhood and I lost it I just started bawling because it was like oh my gosh like this is what is happening and what like how am I going to parent a child that gives me nothing in return you know like this is so sad because the thing I love most about babies is that they need you and they melt into you and you're like just this comfort for them, you know, and that would eventually leave and I'd be getting no smiles. I'd be getting, I mean, we weren't even giggling at six months. There was nothing. And so our our very first, we went to the, doc, the doctor mid-December and she was like, I hear you. Let's get her to the ophthalmologist. I think, you know, maybe she can't see very well. Maybe she needs glasses and then we'll start physical therapy. And I was like, oh, okay. okay. What does that mean? Like what they have baby physical therapists, you know? So we went and we met this amazing woman. Her name was Tanya and she was our very first PT. 
And she was like an angel that like connected the transition. We're going to take a quick Zach Morris style timeout. Are you a mama who is a medical mom, a hospital mom, or a special needs mom? Whatever label you use, we're all in this together. And we have a community called the 4AM Mom Club. Because let's be real, we're all awake all night worrying about our kids. But sometimes we all need to get together and support each other, laugh together, cry together, drink wine together. I don't know, talk about organizing our house together, things like that. Join our club. We're really cool. We have a lot of really cool moms. I I don't know what else to tell you. You got to join our club. So go to www.whenautumncomes.com. And at the very top, you'll see something called the 4am mom club. Click on that, fill out the form and join us. It is a $20 joining fee that we're waiving until March, which is pretty cool. But the fee, get this, the fee goes directly back to the moms. We're using this fee to help other moms when they are struggling or they need that extra boost or their kids have a transplant coming or they just are stuck in a hospital indefinitely and they need a meal that is not hospital food. We've all been there. We get it. So we're here. Let's join the club. Come on, guys. Join the club. Have fun with us. Join the club. Zach Morris style. Time in. Sayla did not do anything in physical therapy. I mean, she, Sayla wanted to do nothing. She, no toys were exciting for her. She didn't want to stare at anything. She cried the whole time. Um, and ironically, I walk, we walk into Chris, so that was Christmas Eve and we walk into church that night and there is this physical therapist at our church. And I never knew she went there. And we developed this friendship and she literally was sent down. And if her only job, I told her, if your only job in this life was to be Sayla's PT, like mm-hmm. you did it because you were that impactful. Like you were that huge in our lives. And I I can't thank her enough for that. But anyway, so that was the start. And then it was just every appointment after that, it was, I think it's this. So we thought it was her nystagmus forever that she just couldn't see. So and how that's why- far did, how long did it take between like the six months and getting a diagnosis? Well, or you, she's still technically without a diagnosis. Right. So, so we went um, ophthalmology first at nine months, got glasses. Then, um, I th- no, excuse me, ophthalmology at six months, got glasses, went to neurology at nine months, which was like a literally a blow when our pediatrician's like, I think I want to do an MRI. And I was like, why? We know what's going on. Like, we don't have to do anything else. So that was just dropped me to my knees. Um, So that was nine months. And that was up here in Minneapolis. And the neurologist up here was like, it's fine. I have nystagmus. She'll be fine. Like, she'll be able to drive We've heard that. We've heard that too. Yeah. Like, she'll be just fine. And I'm like, I have a child that is now nine months, cannot sit on her own, does not play with toys, does not giggle. Does I mean, something is not right. So we're so fortunate to have Mayo Hospital in our backyard. It's like an hour and a half drive down there. So I went to her pediatrician. I'm like, I want to go to Mayo. And she's like, okay. And so we got in at Mayo, got in at Mayo. Um, I want to say it was like, she was a year old, year and a half old maybe. Um, and she looked at her... Um, MRI. And she, so we, we, she's a 
pediatric metabolic neurological geneticist. This woman is so smart. So she encompasses everything that we really need to have. And she looked at her, um, oh, and sorry, back up. We also did a genetics panel up here in Mm -hmm. the cities and it said it showed nothing. It was just a microarray. It showed nothing. And so, um, she was like, I, I'm concerned she might have mitochondrial disease. And when I went into that appointment initially, I was like, I just, I don't want her to have muscular dystrophy. Like that was the scary thing Mm -hmm. to me because I had just had a girlfriend who lost Mm -hmm. a child with, um, SMARD. It's a spinal muscular dystrophy. And so that was terrifying. And of course, like I am no geneticist, so I am completely ignorant to all of the things that are big and scary. None of us (laughs) knew about any of this before being thrown into this world. And it's funny when we all were on the verge of that chapter change or on the verge of like the next step to this journey. There's so many thoughts that we have of, well, I don't want this. I don't want that. But we didn't know what we didn't know. And it's just, I look back at the thoughts I had before and I think, if only I had known Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. It's, so she I dropped mean, the M bomb on you and then you immediately said what the M is mitochondrial yeah. <laughs> disease. I was like, oh, okay. What what's this? And she was like, Well, I want you to check out, you know, the UMDF, um, which is United Mitochondrial Disease Foundation. I want you to stay off of Google. And I was like, okay. And I didn't know. I had no idea. But like, I remember, I mean, speaking about it makes me want to throw up. I remember the feeling of being in that room and somebody tells you that there is likely something wrong, but you don't know what it is. Like, I didn't know it was a progressive disease. I didn't know anything. So we drive home and my cousin is a doctor and I call him. And I'm like, so here's what we got. And he was like, okay. And I remember him saying, so Sayla has, she's a little bit unique. So she has two recessive mutations in which from what genetics knows, and I am, forgive my non-medical, I have no clue what I'm talking about when I say this. It's all what I hear and then try and it's like a game of telephone to me. Mm-hmm what I try and relay. So what I tell people is with mitochondrial disease from for what they know is kind of like uh, getting a child with red hair. Like my husband has to have a recessive mutation. I have to have a recessive mutation. It kind of is like the lock and key turns on the fact that somebody can have red hair. Well, that's what they say with mitochondrial disease too. Like I have to have a recessive mutation as does my husband. Well, Sayla only has two she only has one recessive mutation on two of her genes, meaning she carries two mutations, but there should not be a lock and key to make her symptomatic of these. Mm-hmm. So they still to this day don't really know why she's symptomatic. She has one that um, one of her mutations is like a, it really messes with um, like her GI tract and she's not completely asymptomatic of that. And the other one is called DARS2. That is more of your child typically is born completely healthy. And at the age of five, they start to develop neurological symptoms like 
um, and, and physical symptoms. So, you know, they may not be able to walk. They may develop seizures. They may just start to regress in that form. So we are driving home and my cousin says to me, well, it's really good that she's not symptomatic of, you know, the DARS too, because if she is, typically kids that develop symptoms in infancy don't make it out of infancy. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I would, I, I was just speechless. I had no yeah. idea what to think. Um, so here we are now with this child who has a recessive mutation on her DARS2 gene, which is she is symptomatic of. Mm-hmm. And she technically, from what genetics knows, should not have made it out of infancy. And we have, um, you know, had no regression. I mean, her progression is... Um, in terms of like walking and talking is very, very, very slow, but we've had no regression. And so, which is amazing. Um, it is amazing. In hindsight, it's, it's amazing. Had somebody told you that in that car ride home, it wouldn't have mattered. It would have stung yeah. just as much. It just takes, and it's a daily thing, right? Like I think every day, like, I don't know if you can you know, empathize with this, but every day it's a mindset of, I wonder if I'm going to be in a grieving mindset and a fearful Mm -hmm. mindset of the what ifs, or my girlfriend, you know, gave me this plaque about opportunity. You know, when there's no certainty, there comes great opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I feel like I get pulled to every other day is like, I don't know what I'm going to wake up to and feel today. And so it's a huge mind game, but that's kind of where we sit. We got the diagnosis and they just track her and we are in immense amounts of therapies and special mm-hmm. ed programs. And um, this last appointment, it was just a couple weeks ago and we went down. Her her neurologist wants to do more genetic testing, which is exciting and terrifying you know, my girlfriend's like, it's almost like you're in an abusive relationship with a mitochondrial disease. That is She's, one heck of a way of putting it. It's like you get comfortable with yep. where you're sitting. And, you know, the odds are that if she does not have it, like if they find something different, the odds are good that it might not be as scary. But Mito was a blow. I mean, it it laid me down and out and it is terrifying. And I think, well, you know, what other ghosts could be out there that are just as terrifying? Like I, I'm getting comfortable with where we're at. I don't think I want to find out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So our last appointment. Or they find out more about her type of mito, whatever that Mm -hmm. may be. And that helps you connect with other families that helps you connect with other stories. Uh, You know, I mean, the one family that we became super close with, they didn't get their daughter's official, here's what type of mito you have until she was like eight or nine years old, I think. And, you know, you're in a weird place where there is hope and opportunity. It can be scary to get that. Here's what it actually is. or But it could also be even more, more information is good information sometimes. Absolutely. And I think the thing that I wrestle with a lot and I have honestly my whole life, but it's been exacerbated um, with Sela and it's 
when I look back at the last four years through pregnancy, like every step along the way has helped me understand that I have to just lean into the fear, the hope, the excitement. Like I have to feel it because I think a lot of times you just want to step out and pretend it's not happening. I don't want to go through the grief. Like every appointment we go down to, I get yeah, jittery. I get full of adrenaline. I get nervous. I get what if, you know, and it's like, I don't want to step forward into that. And I know that leaning into it is so good and feeling it. You work through it and you can move forward, but it's knowing that you have to. I just dig my heels in the whole way and it feels so much more comfortable to just sit where you're at, you know, even it's just blissful ignorance sometimes. And it's not as healthy and it, it is isolating, you know, because there are ways that I could connect. I think that's part of like what like brought me to you is like I was looking for somebody because, you know, everyone is going through something so different and there are some groups that have so much support and it brings so much excitement to their child's diagnosis. And when you don't have a diagnosis... And then mm-hmm. you throw in mitochondrial disease, potentially. I mean, you have people and children that are thriving mm-hmm. at age 50. And you have people that, you know, on the forum have kids that have passed at the age of eight months. Yeah. And there's just a complete span of like, I, I can't really dive too much into this because this could completely depress me, you know, and it's yeah. terrifying. So the flip side of it for me, I feel exactly the same way. And then Do I make myself numb to the situation and just do it and just take one step in front of the other and figure it out when things are quieter, like with the appointments or we recently had an ICU stay? I feel like my coping mechanism sometimes is that I just have to stay numb Mm -hmm. and go through the motions so that we survive. But the the opposite side of that coming out of it, it sucks. The adrenaline that you're coming off of, the emotions that you didn't process, they just well up in me. Mm-hmm. Figuring out how to process that, whether that's from a hospitalization or from a diagnosis or sitting in that quiet doctor's office waiting for them to come in and say, here's what's wrong with your kid. Or sitting at home going, something's wrong with my baby and no one's listening and I can't figure this mm-hmm. out. Like, there's so many emotions. I Why did we... They said grow up. They said adults had fun <laughs> lives. Kids. It's fun. <laughs> I think that's where like I try to step back and have so much compassion and empathy for anybody around me because people are processing huge things. And I know that words that are said might not be justified. I know that everyone is trying to do the best they can, but like I need to step back and try and put myself in somebody's shoes and understand. I mean, I don't think it's bad. Like we still have to live every day. We still have to take care of our children. So sometimes you have to numb the emotions just Mm -hmm. to keep forging forward. And then there are appropriate times where you step back and you let them, you know, you process them and you have to find your tribe. I know that there's not a whole lot of people that, you know, at this last doctor's appointment when they were like, Sayla looks great. All her tests look great. So we're going to do more genetic testing. How can I go home? And when everyone's like, how did her appointments go? Start to cry and say, I mean, they went great, but 
I just don't want to have to keep going. You know, like not a lot of people understand the pain and the fear that comes with such a complex um, diagnosis, complex life, complex uh, child. And so, you know, I know that uh, I feel like a lot of times I just, uh, I appreciate being listened to and validated whether somebody understands that or not. And so like, it's my goal. And I feel like I've learned so much of this person may be super rude to me, but I don't know what kind of ICU come down they're having. I don't know what diagnosis or lack thereof they just got. I don't know anything about their life. And so I am here to try and understand and be compassionate to their situation because you guys, people are going through hard stuff. You know, it's not easy. And it takes me back to what you said before about Caleb, like, it was just ear tubes. But to somebody, oh gosh. like how, in hindsight, how did you feel when you were told oh. that he needed ear tubes? So it, you know, it, it was kind of like this, we, we got this, no big deal. And then when they wheeled him out, I remember thinking, you know, we, we walked him back to have him become sedated and I was with him. And I remember thinking like, Josh, they just treated us like our child was going in for heart surgery. I remember saying that to him. Oh, the anesthesiologist talk of like, here are all the possible risks uh, of anesthesia. (laughs) Who is friends with an anesthesiologist? Like, they actually have some clients that are. (laughs) Are they nice outside of that little curtained room where they hand you a clipboard and say, here are the risks that I'm going to do to your child? Are you for real? Oh my gosh, we have the best ones. Oh, I'm sure they're great humans and they're super polite and nice to us, but there's so many risks for my kids under anesthesia that like that spiel, I'm like, oh my gosh, just tell me there's a 99% chance my kid's going to die. Here's (laughs) the 1%, sign your name, let's go. Totally. It's never easy. Never. It's never easy. But these were, you know, the children's hospitals, which I know you guys go to also, but they're, they were just so amazing. They were like, mom, I know this is so hard. And I walked past a nurse's station as tears are streaming down my face. Caleb at this point is probably already done with getting his tubes in his ears. And I am headed back to the room and they're like, I know this is so hard. And it, it has never felt any worse with Sayla. Mm-hmm. Like everyone giving up your child and trusting that, yeah. you know, your child's going to be okay. It's it's never easy. So I'm just telling all of you that no matter what you're going through, like everyone's heart is hard. Everybody's. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing. I mean, there are some, there are some parents like you, for instance, who just got out of the ICU with Lorelai and she had brain surgery and, you know, twice, two times. And she <laughs> technically like by the grace of God is still here, but that's pretty much the only reason. And then there's me who grieves an undiagnosed, undiagnosed child or just the complete unknown. And sometimes it, I really have to hold back like the trying not to connect because mine might be of the lesser because I know that our friendship is there. I know that our friendship is valuable and I hope that like you know, back and forth that we bring to the table something for each other. So I think, I think though, finding a tribe and finding your community and finding people, we all know, I I don't know if we're cursing on this podcast or not, but everybody has their own shit. And Mm -hmm. 
my shit is different from your shit. And, but I know how shit feels. So I know yeah. that your shit, how many times can I say shit without being flagged? <laughs> um, I know that my level of pain, I know what I feel as a mom that you feel as a mom too, for different reasons. hundred percent. And we may have this pain for different reasons, but it's still a pain that no mom should ever go through. And right. especially alone. I have friends whose kids have gotten ear tubes and I'm thinking, oh, it's just ear tubes. But I know that they hurt the way that I hurt. Yeah. And theirs may only hurt for the placement of ear tubes. And mine may be a chronic thing Mm-hmm. That never goes away and keeps my therapist in business. But <laughs> I need one of those so bad. <laughs> all of this to say that we all have, I mean, motherhood is rough whether you have mm-hmm. special needs or not. Motherhood right. is rough whether you have a diagnosis or not. Motherhood is rough whether you're doing brain surgery or ear tubes. Hopefully with this podcast, we can help people feel like they're not alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, that's, that's all, that's all you can hope for. And you're not alone. You're not. Yeah, you got us on the, in your ear pods. <laughs> so <AirPods>. exciting. <laughs> your ears. Somewhere. We're in there. So Diane, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Well, of course, Jesus gives me hope a hundred percent. Um, I think finding the small wins give me hope. Finding the aha moments that stick with me, like, what am I, what am I here for? Why was I given this child? I mean, she wasn't by chance. She is just not like, oops, there was a mix up in her DNA and here you go. Like there, there's just, there's zero chance. Um, life is not what I expected in, at all. Life like you always say, just came as a massive curveball. I feel like I have fell on my face more times than I can count. And my nose is still big. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that works. <laughs> but seriously, life gives me hope. Just the fact that my child is here and that I can wake up every day and I have a God that I can say, help me get through this day. Yep. And I keep going, you know? Yep. So one day at a time. One day at a time. Okay, well, there's we a bald get- eagle flying out my window right now. That kind of gives me hope. <laughs> it's really pretty. <laughs> I mean, hey, perfect timing for a segue to the <laughs> We will catch you guys next week. I can honestly say I don't know who we're interviewing or what we're doing, but we will have something. It'll um, be great. It will be stellar. It's going to be so good. We have a list of moms right now who really want to be on our podcast. And if you are one of them and you want to join us and tell your kid's story and your, talk about your feelings and your trauma and connect with other moms, please let us know. We have a website and you can send us information there. And I'm like making a note to myself, finish website. You guys, this felt so good to talk about. I didn't realize how good it would feel to talk about because I think sometimes I I actually get sick of talking about it. Like to my clients, I'm a hairdresser, so I don't get sick of talking about it, but I feel like they get sick of listening. And so I have like fresh blood to say my whole story to. And it was and very I think, therapeutic. You know, I 
I know we're supposed to be wrapping this up right now, but I also think I've talked to a couple moms who have recently lost their children. And I've said, you know, when you're ready and you want to share your story, let us know. And they've all said, I want to now. No one wants to talk about my child. No one's comfortable with this. And I want to talk about my child. I love my child. I miss my child. And everybody wants to share their kid's story because their kids, like our kids, are special and they are making an impact on the world, whether they are here still or in heaven. So we we are here for you, mamas. We are here for you. And on the daily, I think when people ask genuinely, like, how are they? You know, you can give little snippets and that's in a small moment of like, today they're great. Like this is to talk about the big, their big picture. Like who are they? How are they? What do they bring to your life, your family's life and this world? Like, and I, my heart just gets so like warmed through hearing these big stories and impactful stories of sometimes, you know, I describe Zayla as like, she is not worldly perfect by any stretch of the imagination. In worldly terms, she is not perfect. She is far beyond any sort of perfection that I could describe to anybody. And I, that's what I love hearing about your children because mm-hmm. we see worldly things through worldly eyes. And I want to see like the big picture of your child. Yep. All these kids are making differences and oh, we so are good. their platform to share their story right now. Yes. So, so send them in. I want to I want to meet all these little cuties or yep. big cuties or... <laughs> whatever adult children (laughs) okay we're gonna we're gonna go this is susan and i have to go figure out who's gonna be our new home health nurse oh that's rough yeah and this is diane and i have to figure out who's gonna take my child when she's not at school because our schools are now closed oh also rough (laughs) okay (laughs) talk to you guys next week COVID. Bye. bye We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things that get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.